Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman, and I am your host. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry and walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we get into today's episode, which I'm extremely excited about, I just wanted to go ahead and reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. And I've spent a lot of time, effort, money, and resources into this podcast helping make that dream happen. But I do need y'all's help of, of, of just helping me grow this. So if you could please subscribe to Next Level Minds if you've not done that already. And please take the time to share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague who you think will get some value from it. And let's impact these 1 million people together. Now, on to today's episode. I'm sitting down with Alex Smersniak. He is the founder of 2U Laundry which is an amazing, just innovative company, which really just completely has revolutionized and streamlined the entire laundry industry, which is is a multi-billion dollar industry. Alex has an amazing story of starting his his first company uh, when he was at Wake Forest, how he scaled appropriately, ended up going to Charlotte and then completely just scaling to you laundry and it blowing up in charlotte and expanding to atlanta as well i'm just really excited to sit down with him and, and really hear his full story of how he first off started his venture in college and then how he ultimately started to you laundry and has scaled appropriately he's definitely going to drop a lot of value not only in the entrepreneurial space, but also just in the mindset kind of innovation and adaptation space as well on how to really pivot when times get a little tough. So super pumped for this episode. I'm confident y'all will all get a lot of value here. Other than that, thank you for taking the time to tune in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. And as we like to say here, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Alex, man, appreciate you hopping on the Next Level Minds podcast. Really excited to be here with you. Absolutely. Excited to be here, Chris, and I uh, look forward to digging into both of our backgrounds a little bit. Yeah, man, definitely. How's your week going so far? I know we're, it looks like we're recording on like a Wednesday, so about halfway through, you know? Yeah, so I mean, I, it's, it's been a, a little bit of an atypical week. Uh, we had a board meeting on, on Monday and thankfully got some good news out of that. Uh, we're going through a lot of company or, you know, changes as a company, as you can imagine, um, and it's good to have you know their support and their blessing on on some of those changes, especially amidst everything that's going on. Yeah, definitely. And you're in Charlotte as well, right? Yep. Yeah. So I'm in Charlotte uh, at the Two U headquarters, uh, which is down South Boulevard towards uh, I guess Home Depot and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Well, once again, man, super pumped to have you on here. I know some uh, friends of mine have said some really great things about your company and yourself as you know the founder and entrepreneur and all that. So. I'm confident you're going to give a lot of value, but like before we really dive in and stuff, 
I'd love if you could just go ahead and kind of give the listeners some information about you, you know, like where did you grow up? How'd you get into what you're doing now? What exactly is to you laundry? And I'd love for you to just kind of take it from here. Yeah, no, absolutely. So <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm from Red Wing, Minnesota originally. Um, and, and for anyone that doesn't know where Red Wing is, cause I wouldn't expect them to, it's a town of 14,000 people. Um, our claim to fame is Red Wing shoes. Um, so if anyone's heard of like Red Wing boots, um, uh, Drake raps about him. He says Red Wing boot gang, uh, in one of his songs. Um, so they, I'm from the town where those shoes are made and, and where, where they're headquartered, um, ended up in North Carolina, uh, by way of Wake Forest. So I wanted to get the hell out of the six months of frozen tundra in, in Minnesota, um, loved the ACC for sports, uh, wanted to go to a smaller school, um, and Wake just kind of presented itself and ended up going there, uh, in 2010. Um, so I graduated in 2014. Um, and I think one of the questions I always get asked is like, you know, why, why laundry? How did you get into that? Did you have some sort of traumatic experience as a kid? Um, and thankfully the answer is no, I did not have, a, I did not have a traumatic laundry experience as a kid. Um, but it was at Wake Forest that I got exposed to you know, the business of laundry and dry cleaning in general. Um, my dad's always kind of taught me to front load the job. So I'd been working from probably the age of 10 or 11 on, whether it was mowing people's lawns or working at the local ski resort or a sporting goods store, or, you know, trying to hustle Pokemon cards yep. or whatever, whatever it was. Um, and that didn't stop when I went to Wake. So I was working for a student run uh, laundry and dry cleaning delivery startup on campus called Wake Wash. Hmm. Um, and I was just running dirty clothes from students' dorm room doors to the vendors off campus. And, you know, that was my way to make money. And after about a month of doing it, I just, I fell in love with the model. I was like, this is so smart. You guys have so many customers and so much revenue, but you're not actually really having to clean the clothes. You're basically created a marketplace. Um, and I want to try to see if this could scale to Duke, Chapel Hill, Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. um, and the guys that I was working for were seniors. So they were graduating. And I said, Hey, I want to buy this when you guys are, are, are done. Um, what are you guys looking to do with it? And they were looking to sell, thankfully. And they started putting numbers out and they're like, yeah, 30, 40 grand. I was like, I don't have 30 or $40,000. I'm 18, maybe, maybe it was 19, 19 years old. Yeah. Um, and so I go and convince two others to clear their savings account with me. I think collectively we had 15 grand. Um, and so we took out a loan for the different, the rest. And I don't know how we convinced, uh, it was Wells Fargo to give us a loan, maybe because the business we were buying, the business we were buying was so profitable and just kicked off these cash flows so nicely that I think the bank looked at it and thought, hey, it's been around for four years. It's incredibly profitable. Um, you know, this is going to continue. They're going to be able to pay us back in six months. And that's exactly what we did. So we took out a $15,000 loan, bought it our sophomore year, or going into our sophomore year, um, and just had a blast running it over the, those next three years. We got a formal relationship with the university it was one of the big changes we made. So, you know, parents and students coming in, it was, you know, get your meal plan, get your parking pass, get mm. your books, get your laundry package, even though washers and dryers were quote unquote free and included in, in room and board. Um, and we just, you know, it started selling like, like crazy at that point because you had those parents coming in checkbooks open, ready to make all these big yeah. semester long or school year long purchases. Um, and so we would do like, you know, hundred grand plus in like a week or two during orientation. Um, and obviously that dies down. Like it's like, that, that, that's, like, that's your big push <clears throat> is when they're all, those parents are all on campus. Um, and that just changed everything. We had, uh, again, almost 10 X the business as a result of doing that. We were getting to meet with professors, not just about school and, and the subjects that we were learning, but we'd go in and say, Hey, we have this actual business problem that has a marketing, you know, you know, 
twist to it. And the marketing professor could help us with a real world marketing problem. And that, that way of learning to me was way more impactful than, you know, Harvard case studies or class projects or whatever it was. This was just one of the best learning experiences I've ever had in my life. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you learn the most by actually getting in, getting your hands dirty and doing the actual work. You know, I've, I was a business management major and entrepreneurship minor um, at Clemson, but I've learned more in a year of actually like scaling my podcast, running marketing for it than the entire like four years. So I think that's super interesting. I'm sure you would agree as well. Yeah, completely. Because I think it's one thing to like master the theories or like understanding it from a theoretical level. But once you go and practice it, it's, it's a completely different you know, ball game. And I think you need the theory to understand the best ways to practice it. So I, I, I appreciate the classes that I had and the time that I had, but the actual impact and practical ability to, to use some of those skills and, and theories was completely fine-tuned running the, running the actual business, I'm sure, for you growing the podcast. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned, so you started working for this company, uh, running dirty laundry back and forth, and then the seniors mentioned they wanted to sell, correct? So I, I bugged them. I think they were planning on selling it, but with, um, within a month of working for them, I was like, you guys are going to do something with this when you graduate, I imagine. I want to buy it. What are you guys, yeah. what's your plan? What are you going to do with it? Um, and thankfully they were like, yep, we want to go do investment banking and be done with this. You mentioned you found two other co-founders to kind of, you know, quote unquote, empty their savings and help purchase this. And I think that that obviously is a big step. And you mentioned you convince them. And I think as like an early founder or someone early in their career, it takes a lot of work to communicate your vision to get people to really buy in. So like, what did you do at that, at that time to just kind of communicate that? Cause I know that can be hard to really communicate the vision. So originally it honestly wasn't, I mean, some of it was about making money, but I just, I saw it as a, you know, it was just like a fun problem to solve. And I, mm. I believed in what we were doing. And then it became, you know, kind of about a resume builder too. I was like, how cool is this? You could say I, bought a business, grew it, ran it, sold it. Cause the plan was always kind of like run it for two or three years and sell it again. Initially, um, see if we could expand to another you know, few schools in between. And if that worked, keep growing it and not sell it. So it was, it was all about just like that learning and resume builder. And then once we got into the actual, um, due diligence of buying the business, we saw just how much revenue they were generating, just how profitable it was. Then it started to become more about money. Um, not entirely, but it, it looked like a, you know, a way that we could potentially pay, pay our ways through school um, that it was viable to launch it in other, other universities. Um, and that just kind of evolved as we got our hands into it and realized just what it was and how big it could have been. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What was it like having to balance school and running, you know, this company and helping scale it and everything? Yeah. So that's where things did get a little bit challenging. Cause I mean, I, the guys that I ended up buying it with were in my fraternity. Um, and one of them was traveling abroad. So it was two of us really the first year trying to figure it out. And then it was our sophomore year of college, just got into a you know fraternity now. Um, and so there's all these things that you're trying to be on school life, social life, now running this business. Um, and it was a little challenging at first. I mean, thankfully the, the guys that, um, we bought it from kind of mentored us that first year and they'd set up a lot of good systems already that were, that, that made it easier to manage. But then by our junior year, we got so ambitious and it had just grown so much um, that I would be in class, like texting my business partners or drivers or you know, people that work for us. Like, and I was way more focused on that than what the professor was le- lecturing about or talking about. Um, and it was challenging at times, certainly to, to try to balance everything. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any like time management tips out there for anybody who's 
running side hustles or doing, trying to do the same thing or? I think it, it varies by the stage that you are in life. Like when I was in college, I had a senior tell me my freshman year. So I just, I, this stuck with me going into buying weight wash. And he's like, look, there's, you know, as a college kid, you have the opportunity to go out basically every night of the week. If you want to, there was like wake Wednesday, thirsty Thursday, then there's <laughs> Friday, Saturday. And like, there's, there's all these days that you could go quote unquote drink or party or, or not do something productive. And he told me, he's like, my you know, secret to success as a college student was you know, take those four or five nights that you could and cut them in half. And even if you just do that, you're setting yourself up for um, you know, more success than the peers around you that are doing the same thing. And so I just, I was very disciplined about, I'm going to allow myself to go be a normal college kid, you know, two days a week. That's it. Like the weekends are it. I don't need to go out in the middle of the week. I, I have other priorities. And so it was just being disciplined, honestly. Um, there wasn't really any secret hack or secret sauce. It was just, I made that promise to myself that I'm here for four years. I'm going to make the most of them from all angles, but I shouldn't weight it too heavily on, you know, partying or too heavily on studying or too heavily on running this business. I need to allocate time and energy to all three of them. Um, but still have a priority for those three things. Yeah. I like that you had that kind of self-awareness to be like, okay, I'm going to still work on the company, but at the same time, still be a normal college kids. Cause sometimes I struggle and I'm sure other people do of like, uh, I either have to lock myself in the room and build, 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 or I have to just go out and be social. Like I really like that, that you found that balance in between the two. Cause I think that can be really difficult sometimes. Oh, it's super hard. And I struggled with it going, you know, as we get into the story of two, you like it very much became only that for the first year and a half, two years. Cause I think, the deck stacked a little bit differently in college. You have the safety net of like, you're still your parents' kid. And not that I'm not my parents' kid anymore, but like I'm under their wing, they're helping financially. Um, you know, there's all these other kind of like expectations and, and but also help that you have versus now it's in the real world. Um, it's kind of like you're on your own. And if you're going to go all in on something, you have to, in a way, go all, you know, you have to go all in on it. You don't have that safety net of like, Hey, if this doesn't work out, my parents are just going to like save me and pay my rent or whatever it is. It's like, you got bills to pay and you got to feed yourself and all these other things. So, um, it, it's definitely changed, uh, for two of you certainly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So graduation, you, you mentioned finished up 2014, right? Yep. Graduated in 2014. So you finished up like graduation and you're still running wake wash or you have sold it or going into the workforce or what was that like? Maybe like the first six months out of school. Yeah. So I interned at Ernst & Young the summer between my junior and senior year, got a job at the end of the internship. So I was like, all right, senior year, I'm kind of like coasting a little bit, going to enjoy the last year of being a college student. Um, and I thought we would go expand Wake Wash to Duke, Chapel Hill. And we started having conversations, but it became pretty apparent that these universities have a ton of red tape. Uh, we were able to do what we did at Wake because we were students at Wake. And Duke was like, look, if you're going to come onto our campus, you need all sorts of certifications and go through this vetting process and you have to get all this insurance. And it just became almost like they were wanting to just shut it, not deal with it and shut it down before it was even a real thing. So that, that disheartened the two of the partners that I had, I was still like, we'll find a way around it. Let's get students to run it for us. We'll give them half the company and we'll just sell it every three years. Those students will get to like buy a business, run it, sell it, buy a business, run it, sell it. And it will be like such a cool learning platform. Just like we got to, um, and the school still kind of were like, eh, maybe, <laughs> Um, and so eventually like we started to lose some of that kind of momentum on expanding to all these other universities. And then my two business partners, you know, like all of us, I think we were, we were raised to like, 
get good grades in high school to get into the good college. Then you get good grades again. So you can get your you know, awesome big boy or big girl job. Um, and, and that's like the only path. No one else says, well, actually you don't need to go to college and you could like learn a trade and become an electrician and do really well. Or you could go to high school and then start your own business immediately. Or you could not get a job after college and start your own business immediately. But there's so many other alternative paths that I think the world and society doesn't really kind of allow us to think about as much as we should be able to think about them, especially at a young age. And so we're all just like, all right, go down this path, like good grades, good grades, good job. Um, and so my partners were very much kind of wired that way. They wanted to go get their you know, banking job or they wanted to go get their marketing job at a fortune 100. And I didn't want to be the asshole that was like, let's I'm not selling the company because I want to go do this now, even though that probably would have been the best time in our lives to do it. Um, so we ended up selling it for uh, about 10 times what we bought it for. So good exit, made some awesome, you know, uh, return on, on the investment, learned more than I ever would have imagined and thought I had wiped my hands clean of being in the laundry and dry cleaning business. And then worked for a little bit and then kind of what scaled and started a new one or, or what was that like? Cause it, it sounds like to you laundry is pretty heavy in the laundry business. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, yeah, it turns out I was not done with it. Um, and got a job at EY doing consulting cause it felt like the most entrepreneurial kind of job I could get. You know, you're jumping from project to project and seeing different things and, while I was there, I saw two companies on the West Coast, Washio and Rinse. Um, this was in 2013. I think I started seeing them. I was just tracking them as I was at EY in 2014 and 15. Um, and they had raised a combined $30 million, I want to say it was in 2015, to go after the $40 billion laundry and dry cleaning industry with what I felt were the wrong models. This was when Uber was really taking off and you were seeing Uber for dog walking, Uber for massages, Uber for groceries, Uber for everything. Um, and they were trying to be Uber for laundry. And I just thought that's, it's, it's silly. Like you and I as consumers don't need someone to a 1099 contractor to come to our house in the next 10 minutes and take the shirt off of your back or come to my office to take the, the dry cleaning that I have next to my desk. Um, it's really more of a chronic recurring habitual pain point that we have of like, I have a pile of clothes and you have them cleaned. It's pretty predictable. It's usually once a week. Everyone's kind of got like their laundry day. Um, whereas ride sharing and food delivery is an acute impulse you know, decision. It's I'm hungry. I need food now. Or I see the, the golden arches. I'm going to go pull in and, and eat, eat that food. Or I got to go to this meeting or meet my friends right now. I need this ride right now. It's, it's it, on demand makes sense for those types of verticals for laundry. It just didn't to me. And I know how expensive on demand is. I mean, you've got a bunch of this massive uh, supply side group of whether it's vehicles or runners or bikes sitting, waiting idle. So that when that demand comes in, they can address it quickly and you know rapidly. Whereas again, laundry, the, that need isn't there. So my thought was uh, basically attacking all three of the hypotheses that they clearly had wash you and rinse in their business model and do the exact opposite. So it was mm-hmm. instead of on demand, it's route based static scheduled routes, like the UPS for laundry instead of the Uber for laundry. It's, you know, our drivers are W2 they're in branded vehicles and go pick up 30 orders in a shift versus you know, me going to Chris's house, back to the facility, then to Jake's house, back to the facility, then to Melissa's house, back to the facility, et cetera. Um, so much more efficient out of the gate, better unit unit economics out of the gate as a result. Um, the second was instead of targeting New York's, LA's, Chicago's, the tier one cities go after the tier two and tier three cities, your Charlotte's, Raleigh's, Nashville's, et cetera. Um, and then lastly, um, you know, vertically integrating and protecting quality at, at all costs. The goal eventually was if people are paying us to have their clothes cleaned, it's likely because it's out of convenience, probably predominantly, but the table stakes are that we clean your clothes well to the point 
you know, that you're satisfied and happy and everything that you expected. And if we start mixing you know, Chris's clothes with someone else's, or there's a stain that's on your shirt now that wasn't there, you're likely never going to use this again. And you're going to tell other people not to use this as well. So quality has to be the backbone of what we're doing. I always give the analogy of it'd be like if Apple outsourced its design. I mean, Apple's known for its sleek, you know, kind of sexy, clean design. And if they outsource that to someone else, they're outsourcing one of their core competencies and competitive advantages. And I felt the same way that quality was that for us. Um, and so those are really the three main things. And we started to you was, Hey, there's two companies out there that proving there's a market. They're raising a ton of capital. They're getting a lot of customers, but we think their model ultimately is going to fail and, and not work out. Um, and we want to do it differently. Here's how those, those three things. So we launched to you in January of 16. Um, and it's been just like a wild, wild ride ever since. I mean, some of those hypotheses happened faster than we thought they would. Some, you know, we're still working on and developing even to this you know, four years in now. I'm um, still trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, that's something I think that's so accurate about entrepreneurship is like, you're always going to be trying to figure it out because there's a new wave of just things that kind of hit the fan all at once, you know? Yeah. You have to keep innovating. I mean, I think it gets, that's why you have you know, kind of the innovators dilemma. I don't know if, you know, the, uh, it was a book. I'm not sure if you read it in college or not, but it's just these big companies get so big and, and they can't move as fast and smaller, more agile, nimble companies come up and can innovate faster and, and iterate faster. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. So earlier you mentioned about like finding your path and you know, we're taught at an early age to go to school, get good grades, go to college, get a good degree, get a good job. And that's kind of it. But, and that's all fine. And Danny, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are happy with that path, but, for those out there that know that like that's not the path for them, but they're kind of like feeling like they're forced to to go that path, they don't really want to take a risk. Like, what would you suggest to them? Because I, I know there's people that have that like pent up demand to kind of go the other way. Yeah, so one of the, it's a great question, and I, I mean again, that, the path that I alluded, you know, I talked about was is a good path. Like I went on, and I'm glad that I did. I learned a lot because of it. Um, you can't have a world full of entrepreneurs. You also can't have a world full of bankers. You can't have, you know, what I mean, so it's good. My point. And my point being is that it's it's okay to explore that. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at. So if you are feeling that like tug that, hey, maybe I'm a, I'm a little different or I, I don't want to go down this, this this path. Something that we did in college that was helpful was informational interviews. So like in the career center was, hey, go call five investment bankers mm-hmm. if you're interested in investment banking and interview them, you know, like talk to them for 30 minutes. Why did they get into it? What's their day-to-day job look like? What are the parts of their job that they like, the ones that they don't like? And I look at entrepreneurship the same way. It's another profession. And so do inter- informational interview, informational interviews with entrepreneurs. Go talk to six versions of me, I guess, different versions and different verticals and say, you know, why did you do it? What motivates you to do this? What's the hardest part about it? What's the best part about it? You know, what is pay like? Is pay good? Is it, do you have to live on ramen your whole life or is, you know, can you actually pay yourself? And just ask those questions to educate yourself to see if that's something that you could actually see yourself doing or not. Um, I think it's the first step, um, especially if you're just exploring it at that point, if you're questioning like, Hey, is this something that I want to go jump off the ledge and do? And, uh, is it not go talk to people who have done it and then see if it's, if it's something that makes sense for you or not. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we're fortunate right now to live in such an informational kind of digital era where if you want to learn something, even from kind of that face to face or, or, you know, even on a zoom call type contact, you know, go on LinkedIn, connect with a couple founders, entrepreneurs, or if you want to go in investment banking, connect with some investment bankers. So I think just to your point, it goes back to just taking that initial step of, of actually reaching out to them because those resources are out there. Yeah, totally. And nine times out of 10, I mean, 
whether it was a banker, an entrepreneur, a consultant, a marketer, um, people want to pay it forward because at some point someone probably helped them or talked to them or gave them advice. And so people are always going to be willing to give you 20 to 30 minutes of their time. And that's most, mostly, and most of the time, that's all you really need is just to get that snippet of a day in a life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I'm outside of this, I'm working on a startup with a few um, co-founders and we're at the very, very early phases, but I've been reaching out to just an advisor or investor per week, not even trying to pitch to get money. It's like, Hey, I have a question. Can you answer? And like you said, nine out of 10 times, I've been able to at least get like an email or a phone call lined up. And I, I think that's amazing because it's, it's so, it's not easy to get in touch, but it's, it's kind of at your fingertips. It's just for you to execute on, you know? Yeah. Honestly, I mean, you touched on like a really good point point. The power of the network is, is immense. And I think it's at the end of the day, if you don't take advantage of it, it's, it's completely on you, right? Like it's, it's so available. Like you said, LinkedIn, all these meetups, these groups, and they're full of people that want to talk to you and want to help you. And so it's like, why not? I think that's what makes Silicon Valley what it was, is that network there is just so much tighter, so much bigger. Um, and so you've got a startup that's you know coming online and they're trying to figure out which bank do I go with, which credit card do I get, which marketing agency do I go with? And all they need to do is hit up a Slack group or an email chain or ask five entrepreneurs and they just save themselves by dozens of hours of time not researching which credit card to get or which bank to go with because six six other entrepreneurs have already thought about this and done the research. So why why you know waste that time doing it again? Um, and would love to see that continue to grow here in Charlotte because it is it saves so much time and just makes everyone more productive and efficient as a result. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just on that point, I think it's growing a lot in the Southeast because you have places like Charlotte, Atlanta that are starting to grow more and especially like the tech piece. So I'm uh, I'm excited for that push to continue to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we started four years ago, it's night and day even now. Like, it's it's awesome to mm. continue to see. And more, the more companies that pop, like Avid or, you know, I don't know if Red Ventures is going to have an exit, but they, you know, those senior executives and leaders starting to reinvest in the next up and coming idea. You know, yours and your friend's idea, and um, it just feeds into itself. And the more wins, the more wins, the more exits, the more money back into the system, and just got to keep refeeding it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I totally agree. So. You know, you you successfully exited a company um, at a fairly young age, and you know you're running your organization right now, really focusing on that quality. But like with all that said, what are some kind of initial maybe failures or, or learning lessons that you've had along the way? Yeah, so I think early on it was one of the hardest things I feel like I've ever done. Like Wake Wash was it's kind of a cheat, right? Like it was already an established business. I didn't have to go through that that phase of building something from absolutely nothing. Um, you know, and in this case, even with two of you, like I had previous knowledge of doing something similar in college, albeit it's you know, di- very different market, very different customer group, very different expectations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we had in the early stages, I think getting over that, that self-doubt, getting over those, I mean, that was some of the big, biggest challenges and hurdles up front was just, you know, are we really cut out for this? Uh, do we think about this the right way? And we had five guys living in a three-bedroom apartment in, in Uptown you know, mattresses on the ground, not taking a salary for the first 10 months. And just, that's something I wish I would have been more mentally prepared for going into it. Um, and so that challenge in and of itself and how we got over it was just leaning on each other um, and making sure that, you know, we're holding each other accountable, but also being a huge support system for one another when the, when one of us was re- ready to tap out and go find a job again and get paid mm-hmm. again and try to live a semi you know, normal life as an early 20 something year old. Um, so that was probably one of the first big things that stands out. Um, I think from a failure perspective, 
Uh, I think one of the first really big hires we made ended up not working out and hiring was something completely new to me. I'd done it in college, but it was other college friends that would be more than willing to go make $20 a shift to go do it. We're now talking about people who have families and their livelihood Mm -hmm. depends on you and, you know, making sure that that's the right person, especially when resources are so constrained as a startup, every person and every dollar matters. Um, And we didn't know what we were doing. We interviews were incredibly sloppy, unprofessional, um, not run well. Uh, we weren't asking the right questions. Um, and it led to some bad hires that ultimately led us to having to let people go later than we probably should have originally because we were scared too, because we'd never had to fire anyone before. And that's not, that's a daunting thing to go do. Um, and so I think people, uh, are another huge, hugely important, but also hugely challenging component of any business. And I can't stress enough that if you're you know, fairly green or inexperienced in, in recruiting and hiring, to go become as much of an, an expert on that as soon as you possibly can, because it's going to be the thing that I think defines success or failure throughout the rest of the organization's life. Yeah, I totally agree. And hiring, that's why there's so many staffing firms, like on the IT level, healthcare industry, because even people with 20 years of experience still haven't really fully figured it out because it's such a hard model to accomplish, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard too. It's like, I think, Someone told when we went through Techstars eventually in Atlanta, and that taught me a lot about hiring. We ended up we, we've become much much better at it. But one of the 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 uh, managing directors of our program was the chief of staff for Palantir. That's Peter Thiel's uh, company, um, and they he you know he joined them when there was like fifteen people grew to three or four thousand. So he was kind of leading the charge on um, you know, how they go about staffing and growing at that at that rate. And he, he told me that like going into an interview, usually it's like a 50, 50 shot of like getting the right person, right? Like you, you could ask all the questions you want. And he showed us this methodology called the A method, which, um, there's a book out there called the who So for anyone looking to like hire, whether it's early stage startup or even you know, this massive multi thousand person organization. Um, it's such a phenomenal way of interviewing because it really breaks down, you know, who is Chris Chapman? You know, like, who have you been your whole life? What are the series of decisions that you've made along the way? And it's not the, like, colloquial or like generic tell me about a time you're on a team and failed it's it's you know it's, it's, it eliminates that it's really like getting to know you as an individual and how you've made decisions and, and do those decisions align with the type of decisions we're going to need you to make um at our organization and the goal of the, the whole process is to take that 50 50 and get it to 70 30 80 20 like now an 80 percent chance that you the person you get is right um, and a 20% chance of being, being wrong versus that 50, 50. And that's in, incredibly valuable. I can't stress that enough, uh, for, for anyone listening. Yeah. And unfortunately like employee turnover, and I'm sure you've probably dealt with that. I mean, it's, it's so costly at the end of the day because training, letting go benefit, all that stuff, I mean, it adds up unfortunately. So it's, it's, it's the, I mean, if you think, look at any P and L, like what's the, the, the biggest category it's people. Right. And so it's funny, like HR has like this bad rep or you know connotation. I feel like in general, it's like, oh, like this person's in HR, this person's in recruiting. But I, I think it's the most important function in the mm. entire business because at the end of the day, people are driving everything. People are driving the sales. People are driving the operations. People are driving the finance function. And getting those right people in initially is arguably the biggest, again, most important inflection point in any business. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. So you mentioned, you know, when you were first starting out, you were actually hiring some people on. And it was kind of a shock of, wow, these people are really dependent on me. Their families are dependent on me. So how did you deal with that pressure of, of that happening? Cause I know that can feel like a heavy weight. 
I think for the first year and a half, I didn't deal with it. <laughs> a, lot <laughs> of, a, lot, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of stress. Um, and eventually I had to find a way to like cope and, and manage it. And the, the moment for me was when I didn't really go on like a whiteboard and do it or anything, but I did it in my head and I just went through all the possible paths that could happen. Hey, two, you takes off and we get to 50 cities and this is a massive success. Like that outcome's great. And you know, these people's you know, livelihoods are more than taken care of. There's the other, you know, and every path in between. And the worst case scenario path was, Hey, this doesn't work out and we have to shut down. Um, and I went through what that meant for me as an individual. And I also went through what that meant for the team that we had. And the outcome was honestly, everyone's going to walk away alive and have, having learned you know, a lot through this experience, because I, I really do believe that starting something from nothing and being a part of a team that's doing it, whether you're the one who started it or not, if you're the first 10 or first 15 employees, you're going to learn more doing that than your prior four-year degree, to be honest. And so I looked at it as, as that, you know, this whole group is going to be better off because of it. Um, they're going to land on their feet 10 times probably better than they were otherwise because they have this experience and smart you know, high, you know recruiting, recruiters and smart hiring managers are going to acknowledge that. And the ones that don't, you probably don't want to go work for anyway, to be honest. Um, and so that made me feel very good about, Hey, we were, we were upfront with these individuals during the hiring process about the risks. I think they were attracted to the startup lifestyle or world for a reason. Anyway, they're aware of those risks as well going into it. And we, as long as we do a good enough job being transparent that, Hey, there's a 90% chance this doesn't work out in a year. We're all looking for jobs. Um, that's the best you can do. And then at that point you have to really believe and understand that what you're doing is going to work. And again, if it doesn't work, they're going to be better off for it regardless. And that really makes the thing that feels so daunting and terrifying, not so daunting and terrifying is knowing that we're all going to be fine and better off regardless of the outcome. Yeah. That's such a good perspective shift too, because it's like at the end of the day, thankful that we're just still alive. We're still breathing. And I think that's such a simple shift to do. Well, yeah, that, that is like the baseline. Then on top of it, like I learned more doing this and and again, I'm incredibly appreciative of my time at EY, but I know I've learned more doing what I've done here than I have at EY. And I think a lot of people inherently think the opposite because it's like, well, EY is this Mm. this big four. It's just, you're going to get all this big exposure, these big clients and uh, awesome managers and, um, but they don't teach you how to do it from nothing or from scratch or, or all the different varied you know, things you're going to get exposed to at the same time. Um, I just think a startup, can, nothing can, can replicate what a startup can teach people. Yeah. And you learn, it's, it's like so many micro failures along the way of like, Hey, I didn't scale this right. Or we didn't run this campaign right. Or, you know, this hiring mistake happened and it, versus a big company that you're working for. It, it has so much cushion for those little tiny mistakes that like you don't even really notice it at first. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, a, that's a good point. Like the idea of embracing failure, it kind of goes back to my, I'll promise I won't get on my soapbox for too long, but like, again, in high school, it's like, you need an A, you need an A, like a C is failing. You're not doing good enough. And like, so we're all just, and same thing in college. And same thing when you get to a job, it's like, Hey, we got this five star rating scale now and it's like all right well shit now i need to get a five and if i get anything less i'm I'm a failure or as a startup it's like you know screw all of the things you've ever believed about success it's not about a number or letter grade or a rating you're more like every individual is way more than that it's about the results that we're getting for the business and if we fail it's not that the individual failed um and you can start to disassociate this idea of failure as, as a bad thing i failure is a good thing you get to learn from it as long as it's contained and you don't repeat that mistake or that failure over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Especially it's just all about learning from them. I mean, I, I feel like I fail almost every day, but 
you know, I, I try to recap at the end of the day, like, you know, what are some learning lessons that, that I learned today that I can take on to the next day, get, get 1% better every single day. Absolutely. We actually used to have that written on our, our whiteboard was get 1% better every day. Oh, uh, really? Oh, it's awesome. Cause it, it <laughs> compounds on each other at the end of the day, you know? Yep, exactly. Yeah. So what, what, what would you say are some like kind of touching on a little bit, but just learning lessons about leadership as a young founder with the experience you have right now? Cause I mean, leadership, there's, millions of books on it so i know it's kind of a quote-unquote kind of hot topic yeah definitely I, I also struggle with this one like the first year and a half especially when we started to have a, a team of about 12 uh full-time individuals on the headquarters side and people are older, older than me smarter than me more experienced than me and i you know it was hard for me to be confident at times i go to my co-founder and be like i don't know if i can do this um and honestly what got me over that hump was just you know continue to believe in what you're doing so much that that nervousness or self-doubt kind of goes away because you're so passionate about the thing that you're you're on um i was also very vulnerable and transparent intentionally and that that's become my mm. style for sure and i'm glad that it was i told my team i am not experienced doing these things and i'm learning and i want your guys' feedback constantly and it allowed me to build a, this relationship to center around trust and vulnerability with my team very early on um and which in turn resulted in them giving me feedback constantly like hey I, you're doing a great job here uh, here, here, and here. And here's where like, I think we should try something different. And it was okay for them to do that. Whereas in most jobs, how weird would it be to go to your boss and be like, Hey, I don't think you're vocalizing this well, or you're not good at this, you know, this part of your job, they would get, it's uncomfortable. They'd probably get mad at you. Yeah. Um, so having that environment for, you know, getting constructive criticism, both up and down the hierarchy and across it and with peers was, was super important from a leadership perspective to hone in on what works and what doesn't. Um, because again, at the end of the day, like trust and vulnerability is going to, to me, allow people to do that and um, allow for a much more productive conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point there, just to be invulnerable, I think that the two most important traits of a, of a really effective leader, in my opinion, are just having empathy for your, you know, your employees, your customers, and then also just having humility because you're going to make mistakes every single day. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would you say? And I always like to ask this question and it's okay if you have to think for a few seconds, but what, what would you say is, you know, your one word, it could be a characteristic, a, a trade, whatever the case may be that just could describe the success that you've had so far. Uh, I'd say dogmatic. Hmm. Um, and that's something that we have a scorecard. Actually, part of the A method is you build the scorecard of like what characteristics do you want in anyone you know, in, in this person coming into this role? And for every role, no matter what it is, whether a developer or marketer is to be um, dogmatic, which is basically that, that, that relentless drive, despite failure after failure, despite any adversity, despite anything, you're going to continue to show up and figure this out. Um, and obviously, when we're interviewing people, it's not like someone's got dogma for uh, laundry, but it's like throughout their life, they've shown in that story, again, learning the Chris Chapman story from beginning to now, you might have had a series of anecdotes where you're like, this happened and I just, I, I had, I kept doing it and I had to keep doing it. Or I, I got to this school and I hated the school. So I moved, I went to a different school and it's like, you just didn't give up. You didn't just like fall into place and go through the motions. You intentionally made decisions that showed perseverance and, and, and dogma again. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. That's, that's, uh, that's been the only time I've heard this one, but I, I love it. I mean, it's so true. Just having that relentless pursuit. And I think, I think if you just go with, Hey, I'm never going to quit then you're eventually going to find a solution to whatever problem or challenge you're facing at the moment. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. So Alex, where can people connect with you out there, learn more about to you and, and really just, you know, a good way to uh, kind of connect with what you're doing. I'd love for you just to update everyone. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in Charlotte. Uh, people can you know, follow me or, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm always happy to help answer questions for people too. You can email me at alex at to laundry.com. And that's the number two, the letter U and then laundry.com. Um, and if you want to text or call me, my, my cell is six, five, one, seven, six, four, zero, three, four, two. And I'm, again, I'm always happy to, to connect with other people trying to figure out their way and start their own company or start their own thing, whatever it may be happy to, to, to provide any support that I can. Yeah, for sure. And any, any updates on to you laundry we should know about or. Yeah. So we, uh, we're starting to franchise actually the, the brick and mortar component of our business. So we've built, we ended up you know, over the course of the four years have evolved to, um, having this kind of brick and mortar concept that's branded separately. It's called the laundry room. Um, but it's the equivalent of like a Starbucks versus your mom and pop coffee shop. You know, it's the same thing. Instead mm. of the, your mom and pop laundromat, it's a laundromat that really builds with the, the customer and customer in mind. There's you know, free Wi-Fi, children's play areas. Cause a lot of the families that come in, bring their kids. Um, it's just a different, completely different experience. So we're starting to franchise that out. Um, which we're incredibly excited about. The one that we have here in Charlotte has actually grown about 20% uh, during this pandemic. Um, and so it's proven that it's recession-proof, pandemic-proof now, um, and excited to start you know, stamping some of those out. And we'll eventually layer to you on top of those and bring additional revenue by way of delivery to those brick-and-mortar locations. Mm, I love it. I like that you guys are going kind of more all-in on that brick-and-mortar right now, and it seems to obviously be working, which is nice. Uh, absolutely. We're, we're excited to jump in. I mean, there's a lot more going into franchising than we, I think we originally thought, but um, like anything, we're, we're learning and becoming experts day at a time, getting 1% better every day. Yep. For sure. For sure. Well, Alex, thanks again, man, for, for taking the time to sit down on the podcast. I'll make sure to put all your info in the, in the show notes. But uh, once again, it means a lot that you took the time today. Uh, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Chris, and uh, look forward to grabbing a beer or something in the near future when all this Uh, kind of craziness lifts. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Be sure to connect with Alex on the various social media channels that he listed prior in the episode. And if you're in the Atlanta or the Charlotte area, be sure to check out Two Laundry. Definitely very high quality service and extremely convenient as well. Other than that, hope everyone has a great week. And as we like to say here, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success.